Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. If you're to travel to modern-day Turkey, you can go to the area known as Cappadocia, and if you've recognize that region. It's in your Bibles. You can still go there. It's been there for obviously thousands of years. And within Cappadocia, it's mentioned in the book of Acts and in First Peter. But if you travel to modern day Turkey and go to this area, there's a village known as Girme. And this particular village has existed for centuries. But in 2015, somebody came along and decided it'd be a good tourist destination, and so they started buying up all the homes. There was about 2,000 people in this village, and they bought all the homes up, and they turned them into hotels and basically Airbnbs, and it became a tourist destination. If you look at the picture behind me, you'll see this magnificent village is made from erosion, and erosion created all of these caverns and caves, and throughout the centuries, People have made homes into them and developed them even further. They have what's known as the fairy chimneys that were founded also from erosion. And this particular village is just stunning. This is a picture at night. There's also a balloon uh, celebration that happens that you can see the daytime that is just striking how much erosion has caused just these magnificent structures. People built homes into them. In the first, second, and third century, they actually hid Christians from the Romans in the caves of, of this tiny little village. So just incredible history, an incredible just place to visit. I hope to go there one day, have not been there yet. But what's interesting about Girme, and the part that is so sad, is that everything that made it amazing is also causing its destruction, right? So erosion created these magnificent towers and structures and caves and caverns and fairy chimneys. But erosion is also tearing it apart. And over time, it just continues to deteriorate. So they spend a lot of money and a lot of time re-supporting everything because it's just uh, it's, it's eroding away. So erosion created Guillerme, but erosion is also destroying it. If you haven't been with us for the past several weeks, we've been in a series called How the Mighty Fall. And we've seen leader after leader after leader be incredibly gifted and even anointed by God, but yet also they come to fall. And just like what made Garame great is destroying it, what made King Solomon great ultimately ended in his demise. And I would argue that what makes you and I, what we trust in, in our own greatness, in our own powers, what gives us significance and value is also what's going to tear us down. And today I want to look at that today, but before we do that, we've kind of bookended our series with this passage from and warning from Paul to the Corinthian church, which says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. It says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And while there is the temptation in our lives to to fall to the things that Satan would love for us to fall captive to, there's also the incredible hope that we don't have to do that. 
that there's a warning from Scripture given to us that is a warning to us to look at people like Solomon and to evaluate our own lives in light of what he did or maybe what he didn't do and to put that into practice in our own lives as well. In the Old Testament, there was another warning. If you remember the Old Testament, the nation of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. And as they worked their way out of the land of Egypt, they kept saying to one another, we want a king. And God said, no, you don't want a king yet. And they said, yeah, we really want a king. And he goes, okay, if you want a king, here's what your king needs to be like. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 through 17, the writer of Deuteronomy says this, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. And this particular warning, at least to them at the time, had to be like such a, it didn't make sense. Because they had no horses. They had no money. They didn't have a town. They didn't have anything. They were just making their way back from the land of Egypt. But this particular warning almost seems prophetic in that it was 500 years before King Solomon came around. And yet Solomon seems to violate every single one of these commands. And so just as we have a warning in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, they had a warning exactly against what was going to cause Solomon to fall, which should remind us all today that if we see these warnings, we should take them to heart. And even though oftentimes we find ourselves thinking, that's not me, it probably is. Matter of fact, as we got ready for this series, uh, John and I were talking about which kings we were going to do, and I was like, I don't want to do Solomon. I just don't. I'm like, I'm so tired of Solomon. Can I pick another king? And he's like, well, I'll pray about it, see what happens. So Monday morning, I became convicted that even in my own pride, I thought I'd figured out Solomon enough that I should go do something else. And so be very, very careful. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. He had unprecedented wealth, unprecedented wisdom, and unfortunately, women as well. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, most of the time he's known for one or two things, either that he was really wise or that he had a lot of women. And the one thing that we have to to kind of reconcile with this morning is this is that allowance with God is not equal to approval. And what I mean by that is just because God allowed Solomon to have a lot of wives doesn't mean that he necessarily approves of a lot of wives. And in the same way, just because you have certain circumstances or um, resources, just because you have those doesn't mean that God necessarily approves of it. Think back to Jonah. Remember Jonah, when he goes down to Joppa to sail to Tarsus, and he shows up, and there's just this boat there. And he, thought, he had to be thinking, there's a boat here. God must be okay with it. I'll get on the boat and run away from the Lord. And oftentimes, I find myself doing that too, where something will happen in my life, and I'll be like, well, that must be okay, because God allowed that to happen. Keep in mind with God, allowance is not necessarily equal to approval. Just because God allowed Solomon to have massive numbers of horses, massive numbers of wealth, a massive amount of wisdom, and a massive amount of women, doesn't mean that God was okay with all of those things. Matter of fact, he gave that warning in Deuteronomy to Solomon, and he missed it completely you find yourself saying it must be okay, go back and evaluate what God's word has to say about what you're considering. In 1 Kings chapter 10 and 11, where we're going to spend our time this morning, if you want to turn over there today, it gives an account of Solomon's life. Now, there's a lot said about Solomon in the Bible. You've got 1 Kings in Chronicles as well. You have 
Proverbs, which he wrote, Ecclesiastes, which he wrote. There's just a lot of information from Solomon, which shows, in essence, how great he really was. But the longer I'm alive, the more I'm convinced, and likely you are too, that we're far more like Solomon than we care to realize. That yes, we may not have massive amounts of wealth or wisdom or any of the other things he had, but we are very much like Solomon, especially in the United States. And just like Guillerme, the, the there's four areas in Solomon's life that potentially could have taken him down. It ultimately was the women in his life, but it could have been any of these. And these four areas also are a struggle for us as well. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world... Think about that for a moment. The whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities, and he also kept them with them in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased from Kew at the current price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to the king of the Hittites. When we look at what Solomon, it says here about Solomon, there's, there's four things that stick out that I want you to notice today. Four things that potentially are a trap for us as well. Just as the mighty have fallen, Solomon, one of the greatest kings of all of Israel, really one of the most wise person people to ever live, there's four things that the writer mentions in 1 Kings chapter 10 that I want you to take notice of today that will potentially derail you as well. First off, Solomon was great. And he wasn't just a little bit great. He was, he was a lot great. In chapter 10 earlier, the queen of Sheba, this great African queen, heard of the fame of Solomon. And she didn't just hear of the fame of Solomon. She heard of his relationship with the Lord. And she wanted to come and ask him question after question after question, which she in, indeed did. If you want to read about it, it's in the earlier part of chapter 10. But verse 23 of 1 Kings chapter 10 says that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So if you took all the other kings, Solomon was greater. He was greater in wisdom, in riches, whatever metric you want to use, Solomon was better. In chapter 4 of 1 Kings, the writer starts naming names of all the people that he's better than, which is striking to me because it had to be a humbling thing for, for them to, to know that he was better than every king. And in case you had any doubts in chapter four, you can read all the people he was better, better than. I know that most of us think that we're pretty great as well, or at least we deep down think we are. But Solomon was so great, he even had a stone named after him. Does anybody have a stone named after them? I don't know of anybody else in all of the world that has a stone named after him. Now, this, since the 1960s, they changed the name of this to the Elat Stone, which is out of the town of Elat in Israel. But prior to that, it was known as King Solomon's Stone. And King Solomon's Stone is now known as the Elat Stone because that's the town it comes from. But do you know that they still refer to the mines that they get the Elat Stone from as King Solomon's Mines? 
We're 3,000 years removed from Solomon, and they still call them King Solomon's Mines. And so the level of greatness of this guy was just unparalleled and probably unparalleled for you and for me as well. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, though. And for all of us, if you were to say, well, I don't have a stone named after me, but I think I'm pretty great. And the problem with us as humans is we evaluate greatness at the horizontal level, meaning that we find somebody that we're better than. And I'm guilty of this. Every time I go to Walmart, I think I'm a better parent than most of the people in there right? I walk out of there thinking, I, I'm pretty good. And I got a lot of proof behind me, right? But that's the problem is that we evaluate our greatness from the horizontal level and our greatness really should be evaluated from the vertical level, right? And in the light of God and who he is and what he's done, we're nothing. Matter of fact, we're all at the same level at the foot of the cross as a reminder, right? We're all guilty of our sin, which separates us from a loving God. So therefore we're, we're, we're not that great at all. But if you were to go around, we would never admit this to one another, but inside, we think we're pretty great. And Solomon not only knew he was great, but he was told he was great, which is probably one of the greatest dangers, and that's the first marker to watch out for. Solomon was great. Number two, Solomon was wise. Take a look at verse 24. The whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God has put into his heart. The whole world. Now, granted, it wasn't a lot of people then, or not as many people then, but keep in mind, they didn't have the internet. They barely had books or scrolls. And so his fame or his greatness and the level of his wisdom somehow reached a queen in Africa. So people must have recognized and known that this guy was incredibly wise and incredibly great. And so Solomon was, was wise. He had God-given wisdom, but he failed to rely on it as he got older. It's a warning for all of us, right? As we get older, we, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, maybe this is you too, the older we get, you start to learn a few things. You're not as dumb as you once were. And you start, that can envelop in pride where you start to think, well, I, I don't really struggle with this or that anymore. But Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, eventually was not so wise. And so for you and for me, if you find yourself gaining knowledge, some of you are about to graduate, some of you are about to graduate college, some of you are, have lived a long time, you've been super successful, be very, very careful because your wisdom might be your undoing. One of the most famous uh, accounts of Solomon's wisdom is earlier on in 1 Kings, if you remember. There were two ladies that had babies, and one of the babies had died in the middle of the night. And if you remember, they bring them to Solomon, both women, and they say, look, this is my baby. And she's like, no, this is my baby. And if you remember how this happens, Solomon says, well, if you can't decide, just cut the baby in two. Because they couldn't tell who the real mom was. Well, then what happens? The real mom says, no, spare the baby's life. Let the baby live. And Solomon just had a way about him of getting to the core of what was most important. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, over 1,005 songs. He was a zoologist, he was a botanist, he was a poet, he was an architect, he was an amazing, amazing guy. And on top of all that, he built one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple that still stands, at least portions of it still stand in Jerusalem today. The guy was just incredibly wise and he was incredibly great. The danger is we have access to more information today than we've ever had before. And we've We've supplemented that as wisdom. 
And what it is, is we have access to knowledge, but we lack wisdom. Wisdom, if you remember, is skill and living. And for Solomon, he had that for a time, but then it was gone. The third marker of Solomon's life and what to watch out for us as well is that Solomon was wealthy. Take a look at verse 25 through 28. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. So not only was he incredibly great and incredibly wise, everybody who came to him told him how great he was. And they did it not just with words, but they gave him stuff. It says in verse 25 that they gave him silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. It may not sound like much to you, but that's the currency of their day. That is what was important at their time. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities, and also with them in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. And then he got these other horses from Q and gave them to the Hittites. The third marker of Solomon was that he was wealthy. And I mean ridiculously wealthy. Some of you have horses, you have a barn. And you keep so many horses in that barn. He had cities for horses. Not a barn, not a couple stables, an entire city. He had Megiddo, he had Gezer, he had Hazor. And in Megiddo in particular, which was one of the more well-known ones, and you may say, well, why would God care that he had a city full of horses? It seems extravagant, but why? Well, the reason was God told them that he wanted Solomon and the nation of Israel to rely on him for their protection. But what did Solomon do? He put them at Hazor and Gezer and Megiddo, Megiddo being at the top or the north end of Israel to protect them from anybody coming from the north. The reason why this one matters is because Megiddo is also known as Armageddon or the Mount of Megiddo or what you know today as Armageddon, the Valley of Armageddon. And Solomon was smart enough for centuries, the Parthians, the, the Persians, the Medes, the Romans, the Alexander the Great, even up to 1948 with the Arab and Israel conflict, everyone knew that that valley was the most important thing. The first person to ever put any sort of troop involvement or horses there was Solomon. The guy was just so incredibly wise. He put his horse city there in Megiddo because he knew that if anybody came to attack them, they needed everybody right there with their chariots and their horses. But this was a direct affront to God's command. If you remember back to Deuteronomy, it says that he made silver as common as stones. You may not have been to Jerusalem before, but I can tell you, Jerusalem has just been rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt throughout the centuries, and there are stones everywhere. You cannot walk anywhere with the exception of the nice little downtown portion and not step on a rock. And it says that he made silver as common as the stones. It says that the trees, the cedar trees, were as common as the sycamore fig. The sycamore fig being the native tree of the area, he brought in because he knew what could grow. And much of the things that we learn about plant life and animal life comes initially from Solomon. He knew that he could move the cedars from Lebanon and put them down further down toward closer towards Jerusalem. And it says he made those as common as that. If you remember back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon had anything you could want in that day. He built reservoirs without excavation equipment. He had vineyards. He had slaves and he had, he had people that worked for him. He had stone cutters and he had jewel makers. I mean, the guy just had an incredible amount of wealth. And it's easy to look at that or to hear that today and say, well, that's not me. But can I just tell you that if you make more than $35,000 a year, you're in the top 10% richest people in the world. 
So in reality, you are really wealthy. And in reality, compared to the rest of the world, you may not have everything that Solomon had, but you are incredibly wealthy. So Solomon was great, Solomon was wise, Solomon was wealthy, and then lastly, the one that came with his undoing is Solomon had women, and he had a lot of them. He had a lot of them. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 11, if you flip over a page to verses 3 and 4, it says that Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as David his father had been. I don't know about you, but I have one wife and cannot figure her out. 700 wives. Keep in mind that allowance is not approval. God was not okay with this. This was a direct, once again, a direct affront to God's command of what Solomon was called to do. Now, most likely, he didn't even know all of his wives. Some of the wives he he had inherited, so to speak, when he would take over an area and the queen would become his wife. But we also know that Solomon built an entire city, not only for his horses and his chariots, but a whole city for his wives. And the problem that the writer of Kings alludes to is that these, these women were not treasured people in his life. They were property. They were not people that even as Solomon said in, in Proverbs to treasure and value the wife of your youth, he, he knew the right way when he was younger. But over time, we find out in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, that as he grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as his father had been. His wives led him away from the Lord, and not just once, but repeatedly. He rebuilt the high places of the idol worships that had happened before. He rebuilt the sacrifices that happened, not only in the temple, which was okay with God, but then other sacrifices that happened outside the temple, which was not okay with God. And these four areas, so his wisdom, his wealth, his um, wisdom, wealth, his greatness. If you like alliteration, you could say well-known. That way it all matches with W's. And then his women. Those four areas potentially could have led him astray. It was the women that led his heart away from the Lord. And if it wasn't that, I have to wonder if it may have been something else. Like if he had lived long enough and the women had not turned his heart astray, would it have been his wisdom? Would it have been the, the, the wealth that he accumulated? Or would it have been his greatness and the fact that he was well known? My guess is, is that something else, if it wasn't that, probably would have turned Solomon's heart away because as he grew older, he let his guard down. As he grew older, he let his guard down. And the question for you and the question for me today, is there an area in your life that you've let your guard down? Because in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says that the prudent, which by the way, this is from Solomon, so right, he knew, and this is the scariest part of Solomon. This is the part that is frightening to me, and it should be to you too, is that the very man who knew exactly what to do failed to do it. And for all of us in this room right now, we're like, well, this wouldn't be my problem. I don't, I, I don't have a wife. I don't need a wife. Or I don't have a lot of money. I don't need a lot of money. No, the very thing that he knew to do He failed to do it, which is striking for me and for you to know that we are just that capable of screwing up our lives, and we are that capable of following. 
So in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, which keep in mind, he wrote thousands of Proverbs. Many of them say the same type of thing. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and they pay the penalty. We don't want to be like the simple. Or in another way that Solomon would say it, we don't want to be like the fool. Because what happened with Solomon is, is that it actually broke down that way. The problem with Solomon was his heart, that he didn't guard it. There was another clue, though, that we get in 1 Kings chapter 11 that I want to share with you because you may say, well, I don't have any of those problems and I'm doing okay. There's one more warning in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9, and following down into verse 11. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. There's a clue in verse 11 of another warning that we get today. Not only is there a warning about your greatness or your being well-known, not only is there a warning about wisdom and what to do with it, not only is there a warning about wealth and how to handle that, not only is there a warning around women and, and, and how you value them as opposed to treating them like property, but it says in verse 11 of 1 Kings chapter 11, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant. Some translations say, since this is the pattern of your life, or since this is the habit of the way that you live. What happens over time is we get attitudes and habits and patterns that start out as probably not a big deal. And for most of us, we would all agree in this room that one wife is probably a good idea, you should not have more. That should be a pretty basic understanding, I hope. We would also recognize that we've been given a lot of wealth and we should be generous. We also recognize that we're not as special as we think we are. And we also recognize that we're certainly not as wise as we think we are. But what happened with Solomon was it was one subtle change that led to another subtle change that led to another subtle change that eventually changed his pattern or his habit or ultimately, I think a great translation here is his attitude and his attitude changed and then his heart changed and then everything changed. And my question for you today is there's something that's going on in your life that you think, well, it's not really that big a deal because it's not hurting anybody or it's not really that big a deal because uh, I, it's just me, myself, and I. Or it's not really that big a deal because it's just kind of a little, not important one of God's command. If there's something like that in your life, be so very, very, very careful. Because if your attitude towards God and his commands is flippant or reverent, that's kind of the extremes. And for most of us, we're probably somewhere in the middle. So we may not be flippant completely of God, but we also may not be reverent completely of God. And so we're somewhere in the middle, which is a scary place to be because in the middle, you can go one of two ways. You can go more towards flippant or you can go more towards reverent. And it doesn't take that long to get there. You see, what separated David and Solomon was that David did something wrong, right? He had an affair with Bathsheba and then he killed Uriah. But what happened? Eventually he repented and he lived with the consequences, absolutely. But he kept following the Lord. Solomon, on the other hand, it was the pattern of the second half of his life. He never really stopped following God. 
But what you'll notice about Solomon is he followed God, but he just kept trying to add stuff to it, which sounds a lot like my life and probably your life as well. Is that, yeah, we, we love God and we acknowledge that, but boy, there's a whole lot of things that, that go after our attention and vie after our love and affection for the Lord. So Solomon not only followed God, but he just kept trying to add to God. And what happened over time, that slow erosion that is changing the shape of the village of Girmay, that slow erosion is happening in our lives as well. And so you've got to put a stop to that. It's how the mighty fall, and it's how we'll fall as well. So what happens with Solomon? Solomon dies. The kingdom is split in two. It goes from Israel as a nation to Israel and Judah, and they never recover. They never recover as a nation. Yes, Israel exists in 1947, 48. They, they won their independence, but they never have recovered to what they once were. The wisest of men who warned us of fools became the fool. So what do we do? Two things today to, to help you out to what, make sure that you don't fall. Number one, uh, guard your heart. Number one, guard your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful, who can know it? And yet one of the preeminent, most prominent phrases that you'll hear, especially among young people today, is follow your heart. Can I warn you, that's the most dangerous thing you could do. Your heart is deceitful. It will lead you astray. And if you've lived under that moniker of, well, I just got to follow my heart, be very, very, very careful guard your heart. Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And if you read the following verses, he gives you an idea of how do we guard our heart. If you want to read it on your own time, you can later. But basically, watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch where you go. Watch who you go with. Watch what you think about. That's how we guard our heart. So the first thing we got to do is, is guard our heart and if you find yourself justifying your actions with a, it's only me or it only hurts me, be very careful because those little tiny actions erode not only your trust in the Lord, but also your understanding of who you are. So number one, guard your heart. Number two, we'll get to in just a few minutes, but have you ever heard of the idiom, there's a chink in their armor? There's a chink in their armor. In days gone by, as armor, as they were making it, sometimes there were weak spots in armor, especially for soldiers. There were some inherent ones, especially here at the shoulder where they were trying to attach things. And so if you remember from the Middle Ages, they would attach other pieces to try and, and protect against that. But there's a chink in every armor. Even in the greatest uh, materials we have today, there's still a chance for soldiers especially to be, to be killed. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every single superhero that we have has a chink in their armor. And I am not smart enough. This is not my genre, so to speak. So I asked a couple of people this week of what these were. Here you go. Superman. His chink in his armor is what? Kryptonite. The Incredible Hulk. Self-control. Iron Man. He had shrapnel near his heart. That's why he had that thing in the middle, whatever it is. Somebody's going to rail me for that later. I didn't know what that was called. The Transformers, if they fail to find enough Energon or ultimately find the Allspark. Every single superhero that we look to has a chink in their armor. And so when you think about how do we keep ourselves from falling, 
first off, we've got to guard our heart, but number two, we've got to look only to Jesus. He is the only hero without a chink in his armor. And for so many people, they look to Solomon, right? If you ask a, a Jewish person, they, I mean, you can't go to modern-day Israel and not recognize Solomon's impact still today. They would hold up Moses as a great person. They would hold up Solomon as a great person. David is a great person. But all of those have a chink in their armor. And it takes me back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, when Jesus is trying to help the, the Pharisees of that day understand exactly who he is. He told them that, they said, well, will you give us a sign? And he goes, I'm not going to give you a sign. You get the sign of Jonah. Or he says this, the queen of the south, speaking of the queen of Sheba, will rise at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And then Jesus, is this, this is his response to who he is. And now something greater than Solomon is here. A hero better than Solomon is here. So if you want to keep yourself from falling today, first off, guard your heart, what you think, see, do, who you hang out with, and number two, look only to Jesus. Here's the thing. Everything that Solomon was, Jesus is better. So whether it was his generosity or his wealth or his peace or his wisdom or his insight, his care, his dominance, his utter control of an entire nation, Jesus is better. And then here's the most important thing. Everything Solomon wasn't, Jesus is. Jesus elevated women. He didn't treat them as property. Jesus personified wisdom. He wasn't just wise. He personified what wisdom was. Think of this. Jesus, when they were talking about adultery, what did he say? Don't just commit adultery. He said, don't even lust after a woman. Why? Because Jesus knew if you started with that, it was the slow erosion that would eventually lead to adultery. And so Jesus personified wisdom. Not only is Jesus able to save, he was able to save not only the whole nation, which Solomon was trying to do, he was able to save the world. And lastly, he's able to forgive your sin. Everything that Solomon wasn't, Jesus is. So that's why I think it's all the more important. Number one, guard your heart. Number two, look only to Jesus. That's how you stand the best chance of not falling. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus today, can I just encourage you to look at him? He is the only hero without a chink in his armor. And if you're gonna follow anybody, which that's the command of Jesus, is to follow him. You want to follow somebody who is all-powerful, who is all-loving, who is all-caring, and utterly in control of everything. And I just submit to you today that you look into the life of Jesus, you will not find a chink in his armor. You will find that he is worth everything in your life and more. He is worth laying down your plans because his plans are better. He's worth submitting your entire life to because everything that he has for you is so much better than he has for your own. And if that wasn't enough, he's able to forgive you of every sin, past, present, and future. And if you've never trusted him today, I'd encourage you to come talk to me later. I'd love to help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But my guess is for most of you, you've done that today. And so can I just ask you as we close our time today, ask God, is there an area of my heart that I need to guard or protect against? Or is there a place in my life that I need to make sure I'm looking only to you? And as we close our time today, I just want to give you a few moments to pray to yourself, or pray, not pray to yourself, pray as yourself to the Lord and ask him if there's anything he'd like to reveal this morning in your life.
God, we thank you for the warning from your word this morning for Solomon, and that how literally the mightiest, greatest, wealthiest, most wise person on all the on the entire planet for all of time, we recognize that he fell. And God, he knew what to do, he just failed to do it. And so God, help us to be people who recognize today that we would see danger, and we wouldn't be simple, but we would avoid it. God, I pray that right now, even through your your spirit, that you would just reveal in each and every one of our lives an area of, of weakness or an area where we've let our guard down when it comes to our heart. And God, whether it's our own personal perceived greatness or our our thinking that we're better than people or the fact that we trust in our money or our plans. God, we fall into the same patterns of thinking and attitudes like Solomon, that we don't need you. So God, help us to remember today that we do need you so much. God, I pray for any that may not have a relationship with you today that you'd give them the courage to come out and reach for you. That you'd give them the courage to trust you with not only their life, but everything else as well. And God, we are so thankful that Jesus doesn't have a chink in his armor. That he's all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving, all-caring, all-forgiving, all-gracious and kind. So, Father, we thank you for his sacrifice today. And remember that none of this is possible apart from him. In his name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.